If you have a Bible, can I really encourage you to open up there, Romans 1, as we think on this passage day under the heading, Gospel Shaped. If you were asked, what is the biggest challenge you face in life? I wonder what you would say. Or if you were asked, what are you most afraid of? What would be your answer to that question? Martin Luther, who was so greatly used by God in the Reformation, he was under threat from the Pope of Rome. And if the Pope could get a, his hands on him, he would have put Martin Luther to death. But we see a wee quote here. This is what Martin Luther said. He says, I am more afraid of my heart than of the Pope of Rome. For in my own heart, there dwells that great Pope, self. That is what Martin Luther saw as his biggest problem. Not a Pope who was trying to kill him, but the Pope who wanted to rule in his own heart, sinful self. And the biggest challenge that Christians face today, ultimately, is not something that's out there, but always something that's in here. It's our own hearts. It's the sin. It's the Pope self that wants to reign in there and not let Jesus reign. And in many ways, the book of Romans was written to combat this Pope of self that lurks within the hearts of the, the Christians in Rome in Paul's day, but within every heart today. And Paul knew that the only answer to self, the only answer to sin, is the gospel. And the book of Romans, in many ways, is the purest account of the gospel that you can ever find. So I hope, as we begin this book, I don't know how long we'll be at it, uh, I'm going to take my time at it, and uh, so I'm not giving you a schedule of what we're doing month by month, but uh, I've worked it myself, but I'm going to take my time because let's really benefit from the power of the gospel that is here. As we go to this first passage today, the first thing we see is the authority of the gospel in verses 1 to 2. In verse 1, Paul begins, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, the word servant there is probably too weak. If we think of the word servant, we might think of upstairs, downstairs, if you're that age, or downtown Abbey, people who served in that way. But for Paul, the word servant meant slave, someone who was owned by someone else. And so Paul is saying that he is a slave. He sees himself as being owned by Jesus. His life was not his own to do what he wanted. His life was totally dedicated to Jesus. He goes on and says, called to be an apostle. That's how he introduces himself. Now the word apostle is a, a word that Jesus introduced to the Christian church to describe those who were witnesses of his life and particularly of his resurrection and people that he then sent out. The word apostle means sent one. People he sent out to testify to him about Jesus. And an apostle went and spoke with the authority of Jesus. 
And so Paul is saying that he is an apostle. He is someone who is a witness to the resurrected Christ, who he met on the Damascus Road. He is someone who speaks with the authority of Jesus. Now, it's important he gets that credential down in this letter because the people in Rome, the Christians there, have never met him. He didn't find a church in Rome. It was probably founded shortly after the day of Pentecost. You read the story of the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. There were, there were Jews from Rome who were there on that day and converted. And from them, the church began. And so Paul is saying he is someone who is a slave to Jesus. He's an apostle to Christ. He's been called to this road. He goes on and says then that he's set apart for the gospel. His whole life is dedicated to this message of Jesus Christ. Now, there's actually probably a play of words in what Paul is saying here. You remember who Paul was before he was a Christian? He was a, a Pharisee, a very strict religious group of Jewish people. The word Pharisee means set apart one. And so when he says here, he's set apart for the gospel, it's basically the same word as Pharisee. And, and so what he said is before, he was a Pharisee. He was set apart for the Jewish law. But that has all changed. Now he's set apart. He's, he has met Jesus and he's now dedicated to the gospel. You see what he's saying about himself as a believer and as a missionary? The gospel is not in a wee corner of his life. Jesus hasn't got a wee area of Paul's life. His whole life is focused on and dedicated to Christ and the gospel. Remember, I don't know if you picked it up in my opening prayer about Adam and Eve when they were made. God was at the very center of their lives. God is at the very center of, the thing, of their thinking. That's the way we're meant to be. But sin pushes God out. It pushes self, Pope self to the fore. And the plan of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, is to change that and to bring God back into the very center of our thinking. And here we see in Paul a, a man for whom that has happened. The next thing he says here about the gospel, that it is the, the gospel of God. Uh, this is not his gospel that he has made up. It's it's no man's invention. This has come from God. It's come from the very heart of God. And at the very heart of the message of the gospel is God himself. I said the book of Romans is, is a book about the gospel. But in many ways, it's a book about God. God has to be at the very heart of it. And the danger is that we just think about, what does the gospel do for me? We need to think, what does God want to do in the gospel? What is God's great plan? And remember, his great plan is to take people whose focus has shifted away from God at the center to God at the side of their lives. His, the purpose of the gospel is to make things right again. That God loving him, worshiping him, honoring him, knowing him, serving him, is at the very heart of what we do. And then the final thing, just this part about the authority of the gospel. Look what he says in verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Promised in the Holy Scriptures. This gospel, Paul is saying, it's not some new thing that's been invented by me or invented even by Jesus when he came to this world. 
It has always been there in the Old Testament. Yes, it's been there in shadows. It maybe hasn't been as clear as it's now clear. But now the time has come when the whole Old Testament is building up to this point when Jesus would come and the Spirit would come and we would make clear what this gospel message is. It's a message founded on the authority of God's Word. Now, all of these words and expressions in these first two verses, they speak of authority, servant or slave, call, apostle, set apart, gospel of God, promise from the Scriptures. What Paul was sharing 2,000 years ago in this book of Romans is a message that comes with authority, the very authority of God. And as we study this amazing book, we need to realize that we can't study it like any other book where we take it or leave it. I don't know if you're going to buy Prince Harry's book when it comes out or not. Uh, that's up to you. I'm certainly not giving him a penny uh, of it. But you can read that book and you can decide well, whether you accept it or not. And really, it doesn't make any difference. You cannot approach the book of Romans that way because it's the Word of God. It comes with the authority of God. We can't ignore it. We can't give this word even just a small place in our lives. This is a word which wants to change us, to transform us. And it's my prayer over these next months that we would be on a journey together where individually as a church we're transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that is true if you're not a Christian here today. I hope if you're not a Christian that Romans would be the final thing that is used for you. As it's been used in the past, people like Augustine and Martin Luther and other great people in the past who have been converted through reading this book. I hope this is, will be true of you. But I want you to know if you're a Christian here today, that you understand that your life has to be a life of continued change. And how you continue to be changed is by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message is summarized in this book. That's how we continue to be changed. The more and more we come to understand the gospel, and the more and more we experience the power of the gospel in our lives as Christians, we're a people who become more like Jesus. So that's the authority of the gospel. And then secondly, we have here the heart of the gospel in verses 3 to 4. We really see here what the gospel is really all about. And, and in many ways, these two verses give a summary of what Paul wants to share right along. And the first thing he says there in verse 3 is concerning his son. That is God's son. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is not primarily a belief system. It's not primarily about a way of life. It's not primarily about what the church can do for you. The gospel is about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, describing Jesus here as God's son was absolutely radical for Jews to hear in Paul's day. Because remember, Jews were very clear that what made them different from every other country and every other religion was all these other countries had loads of gods. They had one true God. And they were the only religion which had one true God. 
That was so important to them. And they couldn't see how God could have a son, a son who is also divine. How could that fit into the idea of God being one true God? But what they failed to grasp was that God was more complex, God was more glorious, God was more wonderful than they first understood. Yes, he is the Lord. Yes, he is one God. But he's a God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of which are mentioned in this passage. Three persons, but one God. Now, if you've worked that out, you're better than me. Now, I know that God is one God, but three persons. I can't fully understand that. I can't fully grasp that. But what that tells us is this God is more amazing, more complex than we can ever imagine. It also tells me that I have more that I can learn about this God. If you are here today and you think you have God worked out, you need a great dose of humility. Because at the end of 11 amazing chapters, Paul teaching about God and what God is doing, he basically says, oh, the depths, who can work this out? But the wonderful thing is, we have a God who comes down to us. Calvin talks about God's baby talk. You know, if you're speaking to an adult, it's very different to the way you might speak to a, a two-year-old. And it's lovely when you see an adult getting down to a two-year-old and trying to get down to their level to communicate with them. And in many ways, this amazing God who's beyond us, the wonderful thing is he comes down to us. And through the book of Romans, he helps us. And it's possible for us to grasp so much more about God to thrill our souls, to cause us to love God and to change our lives. This God is one God but three persons. But let's here keep the focus on the Son. In these verses, there are two crucial aspects about Jesus that are referred to. Look there, first of all, verse 3. It says, In the flesh he was descended from David. Here we're thinking of Jesus' human nature being from the family line of David, that human aspect of him. And Paul is using a word here that would have shocked people who heard him. He speaks about Jesus coming in the flesh. It's a Greek word, sarx. The reason why I'm sure that is, it's a crude word, even the sound of it, sarx. In a Greek mindset of which Rome was a part of the Greek culture, anything to do with the flesh, anything that was physical, was seen as tainted and wrong and spoilt. But what is Paul teaching here? The amazing thing is this God, he has come right down in sarks. He's taken on human flesh. He is a God who's come right down into our sinful existence. He's the God who's come right down to be one of us in order to rescue us. What he's trying to get across here and even shock people is how low Jesus has come to take on human nature. He was without sin, but he came and took on human nature of all its frailties, weaknesses, and temptations. Jesus, God's son, could only rescue us by coming right down into the pit of our sin and its depravity. 
one of my favourite films, you'll see a picture coming up here, is True Grit. Uh, if you're a John Wayne fan, uh, you will know this film, True Grit. And in the film, True Grit, there's a scene towards the end of it where Maddie, the young lady, she fires a gun and the recoil makes her fall back and she falls down into a pit where there is a, the remains of a dead body and there is also a rattlesnake. She falls down, she breaks her arm, she's trapped, and she's bitten by this snake. And John Wayne comes, or Rooster Cogburn as his character is, he comes and he wants to throw a rope down to her so that she'll grab the rope and be able then to be pulled out and be able to tie the rope around. But the problem is, she is in such a condition with her broken arm, she's trapped, and now being bitten by a snake, she cannot do that. She can do nothing to lift herself. So what does Rooster Cogburn do? He goes right down into the pit and he, he kills the snake. He shoots it halfway down. He kills the snake. And he goes down and he grabs hold of her. And then with his colleague who almost has come back from the dead, they're able to have a horse to be pulled out. I think that's an amazing picture of salvation. Jesus has come right down into the pit. We aren't able to get up ourselves. We can't lift ourselves to make ourselves right with God. We can't change ourselves. But Jesus has come right down in order to lift us up. He has come in the flesh. But the second thing it says here, he's declared to be the son of God in power in verse 4. It says, and we declare, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, and by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is saying here is that when the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, he not only declared that Jesus was the Son of God, that by raising Jesus from the dead, that was proving that he was the Son of God. He's saying something more here. He was declaring that he was the son of God in power. Jesus had come to be the son of God in weakness, to be the suffering servant who would die on the cross. But when he's raised from the dead, he now becomes a son of God in power. He now becomes totally invincible. The vulnerability that was there before is taken away. He is raised from the dead. He's then seated to the right hand of God the Father in the place where he has all power and authority. And what Paul is saying here, let's get excited. This is the Savior. This is God's Son who's come down in flesh, who's come down in weakness, who's come down into the pit of our depravity. But he's the son of God who through the resurrection is proved to be the son of God of power who has the strength, who has the might to lift us out of our sin and misery. He's the son of God who is able to lift us to the very heights of glory. And this is the savior we need. One who comes in weakness as a human to suffer in our place, but one who is also almighty God who is the powerful one who's able to raise us from our sinful condition. You see, one of the things people say is, I would be a Christian, but I could never keep it up. You don't understand what the gospel is. 
The gospel is that Jesus has died on the cross to save you from your sin. He's died on the cross to take the guilt of your sin. But what Jesus also does, this Jesus who is the Son of God in power, he comes in power through his Holy Spirit to change your heart, to change you within, to lift you out of that being enslaved by sin, to make you into a new creation, to make you live a new life of obedience. Do you see the two aspects? The son who's come in the flesh in weakness, but the son who's in power to raise us. And that is the very heart of the gospel. And that brings us then to our final point, which is the, the challenge of the gospel. And <clears throat> we'll be quick here. There are two main challenges of the gospel. Paul speaks there about in his first five how his desire in the gospel is to bring people to obedience of faith. Now, there's so much ink being used by commentators and scholars to talk about what is the link between uh, faith and obedience here. I, I'm not going to get into all those arguments, partly because I don't understand them, but I think what is clear is here, the purpose of the gospel is to bring people to those two things, obedience and faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which then leads to a new life, of living for him and living for his glory. You'll see a wee picture come up here on the screen here of a gentleman who has died very recently and there's been a lot of talk about him, the great Pele, uh, possibly the greatest footballer who has ever lived. And when someone who is great like that dies, there's a, people want to share their different stories of meeting with someone who's famous and the impact that the person has had on their lives. And a great footballer like Pelly, who also seemed to be a lovely man in many ways, he had a great impact on people's lives. What Paul is wanting people to experience and what the gospel is wanting to do to people is to so meet with Jesus. Someone whose greatness is on a different level from anyone in this world. The Jesus who's come in weakness, the Jesus who is also shown to be in power is to so meet with this great person, Jesus, that our lives will not be the same again. That's one of the reasons for people when they say, you know, I couldn't live the Christian life. They fail to understand it's a Christian life that's lived in fellowship, in a relationship with Jesus. It's continued to be impacted by Jesus. It's continuing to meet with Jesus that changes us. And then the final thing he says here about the challenge of the gospel is sharing the gospel. He speaks about his role as apostle, his desire is to bring this gospel, he says here in these verses, to the whole world, and that includes to the folk who are in Rome. Now, it's amazing what Paul was able to achieve. In 10 years, nearly every city, every place of major population in Turkey and in Greece now had a living church. And he was able to go on and leave these churches to continue to be a witness for Christ in their areas. Now, how was Paul able to do this? And why was now Paul, now after being a Christian now for about 20 years and 10 years of missionary journeys, I'm suffering so much of those missionary journeys, many times stoned, many times left for death, 
Why is it that Paul now had such a passion to go to Rome, but to go beyond Rome and travel to Spain, which was the very end of the Roman Empire in that direction? What was the key to his continued service? And what was the key to his continued zeal in this work? Look what he says here in verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. What gave Paul success in his work as an apostle? What enabled him to continue with zeal and not to get weary, but to keep going on, was grace, which came with his apostleship. Paul has just been talking about the Son of God coming down in flesh, coming down in weakness to suffer in order to save us. That is grace. Jesus has been raised from the dead victoriously. He's been raised in power. And it's that great power that Jesus now has provides strength for sinners to be changed and to live for Jesus. That is grace. You see, grace is not a thing. Grace is not a substance you can put into a a bottle. Grace is Jesus in action. And what enabled Paul to be successful in his ministry, what enabled Paul to have such an amazingly changed life was what Jesus had done in action at the cross and what Jesus continued to do in action in Paul's life and in the lives of people that he shared the gospel with. In other words, Why was Paul so successful in his his ministry? Why was Paul continued to have zeal to share the gospel? It was Jesus. It's the wonder of Jesus' love. It's the wonder of Jesus' salvation. It's the wonder of Jesus' power that he knew in his life. I hope this really excites you because when we're weary as Christians, when we're weary as Sunday school teachers, when we're weary as leaders in our organizations, when we're weary as elders, when we're weary in the committee, when we're weary as a minister, why do we keep going on? How can we keep going on? The answer is in one word. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in action. It's grace. Jesus moving in our lives. Jesus moving in the lives of others. So what have we looked at this morning as we finish, as we recap? Being gospel-shaped, being changed by the gospel. We have the authority of the gospel. This is not something you can ignore. We have the heart of the gospel. Jesus coming in weakness, but in raised in power, which he now has in the spirit. And the challenge of the gospel, to be obedient in faith and to be involved in gospel witness to a needy world. I hope... This introduction, a wee taster, really whets your appetite. Can I just remind you too, if the, the Bible reading notes are available, and from today for the next 16 days, they'll be in the book of Romans as well to help us get a wee bit deeper into it. Let's pray together. Father, we want to praise you today for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for moving the Apostle Paul giving him that time, we believe, all those years ago in Corinth that winter, to write this letter. And Father, as we begin this journey into the gospel in a fresh way, just take us deeper into Jesus. And Father, so many distractions. We realize the devil always wants to distract us 
away from focusing on Jesus. May we as individuals focus on Jesus. May we as a church focus on Jesus. May in each of our organizations the focus be on Jesus. Encourage us, Lord, and just help us to remember the Jesus, to remember the heart of the gospel. Jesus has come in flesh, come in weakness, suffered so much, but he's raised in power. And it's that power that lives in his people today. Lord, thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.